Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Now we will have the notes and, and verses and stuff on the screens for you. If you'd like to follow along on Uversion, if you have the Bible app, Uversion app, you can just go to the More tab, select Events, and look right there. You should see right at the top, Face City, Michigan campus. And you can follow right along, add your own notes, even save it for later reference, which I really encourage you to do. 1 John chapter 2. Start with verse 15. This is the Apostle John here. And uh, a lot of scholars believe he's probably somewhere between 65 and 80 years old. So, you know, he, he had followed Jesus for three years, physically, three and a half years. And then he, he actually spent his life, like gave his life for the cause of the gospel. And, and they believe that this letter wasn't specifically for one church. It was actually for all the churches in Asia Minor. And they even believe that he wrote this in Ephesus uh, when he penned these words. But he said this. He says, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen to this, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of eyes and the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then he says, and the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. I want to talk about this today. I want to talk about this idea of the world versus the kingdom or the kingdom of God, his love. I want to talk about this and as believers, how it is that we should journey through this life. I want to talk about us being secure in the Father's love. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to look into your word. I pray today that this would not be my opinion. It would be you, Holy Spirit, speaking through me. I pray that minds would be changed today about who they are, about who you are, and about what their mission is here in this life. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. It's so great to see everybody here today. I'm seeing a lot of faces I haven't seen in a while, but I feel like right now we're kind of getting back into the groove. How many have kids back in school? And you're like, amen, praise the Lord. The state is babysitting my children. Now, now it, it's cool. Kids get back in school and you kind of get back into that groove. But I guess now that we're on the subject of school, I'm thinking about parents. How many parents do we have here today? Yeah, a lot of us are parents. You know, I'm going to say something that might seem kind of off and controversial, but I believe this. I believe that kids are one of the best and worst things that can happen to us. Pastor, this isn't negative. You're like, you just said they're the worst thing that can happen to us. Now, think about this for just a minute. They're the best thing that can happen to us. Why? Well, I found like, let me just talk about me, not about you. I'll just talk about me. In my life, I I found that I was rather selfish, uh, that I thought about myself a lot. Yeah, Chris, I know, I know. I seem so holy up here in the lights. (laughs) But you know, When kids come along, things change. And so it's the best thing that can happen to you because you start to look at things differently. You you start to put someone first. You start to not be as selfish. And then it's the worst thing that can happen to you because you start to become less selfish and you start to become uh, someone who gives to someone else more. What I mean is this. Even though it's a good thing, 
sometimes you go, oh, this is kind of tough because I'm having to work through maybe old habits and ways of thinking. I want you to think about this. Think about life before kids. All the guys went, I had so much more money. (laughs) Kids cost a lot of money, don't they? But think about life before kids versus life after kids. Before I had kids, I was just a different person. Now, I'd like to think that I was a loving, giving person, but I would be, let's say, at the movie theater or uh, maybe at church. And, and have you ever been in a, a public place like that? It's supposed to be maybe quiet, and there's that whiny kid. There, there's that kid that's just, be honest, that whiny kid. There's that baby that's crying. You're like, oh, my gosh, would you shut your kid up? I know it's expressing the love of Christ at the best. I know. But you think these things, but what's, what's interesting is once you have children, all of a sudden, you don't hear that whining anymore. You don't hear the crying as much because you get it. You have a heart of a parent. You're like, oh, I get it. They're probably just hungry or they've, they've got some issue going on and their parents are trying to console them. It's okay. It's interesting how we, we look at those things differently. You know, I remember being that person that uh, uh, one time I was going through the mall. This is a true story. I was going through the mall, and and it's when they had the big boy still in the mall there. And I was behind this family, probably about 30, 40 yards, and I heard this kid say, Mom, can we go in and get something to eat? And she's like, no, honey, we can't do that. This kid, like, completely freaked out. This kid was 10, 11, 12 years old. I mean, he jumped up onto the window that looked in the red, like people were eating on the other side, and he's like, this guy's manifesting demons. What is going on? He falls onto the floor. He starts writhing around. I'm like, what is going on? The first thing I thought is, they need to beat this kid. Right? We think these things. I don't mean punch him or anything. You know, spank him, tie him out. However you're going to do it, discipline the kid. Now, we know that discipline is supposed to be training for your future out of love, not punishment for your past, right? But I saw this. I'm like, man, you need to take care of your kid. And it's so funny because years later, I'd be in a store somewhere, and my kid would ask for something, and I'd say no, and they would freak out. And I suddenly became that person. Let me ask you this. Before you had kids, did you ever see a kid acting crazy and thought, my kid will never do that? Mm-hmm. And then they do it. And there's someone in the other aisle going, my kid will. It's funny how we look at things differently based on relationships. You know, when I look here at what, what John's talking about, I believe that John is showing us that relationship with Jesus, that relationship with the Heavenly Father will forever change our relationship to the world and to the culture we live in. Because here's the truth. One relationship starts to frame and change another relationship. The, the relationship with my kids started to frame and change the relationship that I used to have with children. Now, I would never say that I was a mean person or didn't like kids. I did say when I was in my teen years, I'll never have kids. Now I have four, and I have four grandkids. It's like, wow, that was a big lie. But it starts to frame and change another relationship. And I believe that's what happens. When we have relationship with the Father, more specifically with his love, it changes our outlook on the world, how we interact, how we embrace culture, you know, how I live, uh, the entertainment that I enjoy, uh, my hobbies. It all begins to change in the light of my relationship with Heavenly Father. Now, some of you probably experienced this, but I want us to really look at this today because, you know, life is not about subcultures. 
And, and Bishop Jamie was, was touching on this last week, but what we've done as the body of Christ, as the church, is we've made subcultures, haven't we? So we have like Christian TV, Christian movies, Christian music, Christian books. Do you know that God didn't say, I came so you could have life, life more abundantly to have subcultures all through the world? He wants us to engage culture. He, he wants us to see the world who doesn't understand. See, this is what's really crazy. Almost 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, the cross did something. It changed everything. It was a paradigm shift. What happened is God, as the Bible says, God reconciled the world to himself. That means he put the world in favor with him. The Bible says that we're all sons and daughters of God. The only difference between maybe you and someone else is you know it. They don't. And they're living in an orphan mentality, not realizing that they're sons and daughters of God. And we're the ones with the good news. See, we've made the gospel into some, some afterlife deal. Like, you know, in the book of Acts, there's approximately 18 gospel good news messages. And not one of those messages deals with the afterlife. It talks about us being reconciled to God. See, I think it's great that we, we preach the gospel and we can say, hey, if you were to get hit by a Mack truck tonight, I mean, how many have heard this one, right? Where would you go? Now, I believe in afterlife, but it's not about a ticket to heaven. It's about new life now. It's not about a get free out of hell card. It's about life now, here and now. God has reconciled you. He's brought you in the favor. You see, what we do is sometimes we have this, this tendency to go to people and say, hey, I got some good news. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. God can barely stand you, but Jesus took your place. So if you receive Jesus, then God will like you again somehow, maybe, some way. How about this? God loves you. He's always loved you. He cares about you. He's not mad at you. He's already reconciled you. He's already put you in favor with him. And all you have to do is wake up to who you really are, a son and daughter of God. And it takes one thing, belief. I believe it. What if we presented the gospel that way? Do you think more people might be takers or at least think about it? Man, I'm telling you. Man, I'm getting on my high horse now. The church needs to put down the picket signs. I can say that because I'm a pastor. We need to put down the picket signs. We need to stop posting hatred on Facebook. And we call it, I'm speaking the truth in love. No, there's no love behind that. Because you want God to punish somebody and take care of them. Because you've been living so holy and good and they aren't. Why are you yelling at us, pastor? I don't know. I just, I want to see the Father's face clearly. Jesus came to unveil the face of God as a Father to us. And sometimes what we do is we distort his face. And people don't quite understand that God truly loves them unconditionally. Saved, not saved, sinner or not. He loves us all the same. That's unconditional love. It's undiluted. It doesn't change. What if we told people more about that? So we're not here to make subcultures. We're here, I believe, to infiltrate and change culture through love, real love. And we're going to look at that some more today. Now, oftentimes I think that when it comes to uh, portions of scripture like this, 
we can take a negative approach, but I think and I believe that the positive far outweighs the negative here. I really don't think that John's motivation or his motive here is speaking out of fear like, fear the world. Don't get near the world. Don't listen to secular music. Don't go to the movies. Smash your television. Have CD burning parties. Do we even have CDs anymore? I guess you had to burn your phone and your computer and everything, wouldn't you? Because that's where your music is. I'm hiding it on my MP3s, right? See, this isn't what John's saying. Don't celebrate uh, anniversaries. Don't celebrate holidays. Don't celebrate birthdays. Don't celebrate birthdays at Chuck E. Cheese. Now, Chuck E. Cheese is from the pit of hell. Where else can you go, spend $200, your kid gets a million tickets, and he ends up with the plastic Spider-Man ring? There's something wrong with that. I'm just kidding. That's not good theology. Go to Chuck E. Cheese if you like. My point is we're not trying to separate to the point where we say we're inside our four walls. The saying used to be us four and no more. Are we infiltrating the culture and changing it with the love of God? Because really, for Michiganders, what we should do then, I guess, is all move up to the UP, make our own clothes, live off the land, and separate from anybody in the world. But how many know that Jesus didn't call us to do that? There's nowhere in the scripture he says, go to the Upper Peninsula. I've searched it out. It doesn't say it anywhere. But here's the thing. Later, John says this. He says that the problem with the world, I want you to get this, the problem with the world is that it can't deliver. It doesn't satisfy. In fact, this word love in the original manuscripts means this, to be fond of, to be content with. He's saying don't be content with the world. It's not going to pay off. How many been there? You look, you're like, man, it looks really tantalizing. I use this a lot. It's so good. Uh, uh, Peter Heist was preaching one day, and he says, you know, we think that the grass looks greener on the other side, but the truth is it's just astroturf. It's fake. It looks so good, but it's fake. It's not real. What John is saying is, listen, if you're trying to find your satisfaction and your contentment in the world system, not even talking about people, In the world system, you will never find it. And he's pointing us to something. Because he says this, it will leave you broken and wanting. His quote here, do not love the world, isn't about you keeping up appearances and and being holy and sanctified either. You know, a lot of my life I I dealt with this. And it, it it was with good intentions, but I thought that the sum total of my life was my performance for God. And, and so I would go through life trying to be, with good intentions, trying to exhibit holiness and righteousness and things like that. But the thing is, if we do it devoid of the love of God, it's nearly impossible to keep up because it's just an act. And again, I'm not saying a bad thing like I'm trying to pretend, but you can't do it in and of yourself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, that's our life. I've heard people say, man, uh, the the life of Christianity is is hard. No, it's impossible without Jesus. See, Jesus gave his life to us so he could live his life through us. So that's the life we live. It's absolutely beautiful if we can just kind of focus and see what the Apostle John's trying to say here. And so with me, my relationship or my identity became one of working for acceptance or proving myself to God and even to people. If you look around, many Christians are doing this. You can see it in their face. Uh, Just that look of like, 
How you doing? Oh, we say blessed and highly favored, but man, for some of us, it's like blessed and highly favored. Like we can barely get it out. And what I'm not saying is that we don't have issues and problems. I think we should be open and honest with our brothers and sisters. You know, the Bible says to confess your faults to one another. That doesn't mean every person you see, but someone that you can trust. Why? So healing may come. See, it's in those those vulnerable spots in life when we're able to be open and honest with God and with with good brothers and sisters who we trust, that healing comes because we get it off our chest. I often say that when we pray, it's more for us than it is for God. God is the one being who doesn't need anybody or anything, but he desires relationship with us. And so what happens is when I pray or I talk things out with God, it's not like God goes, oh my gosh, you know what? I've been really busy. I didn't know you were going through that. Like he knows, but see, it gets it off my chest. It's, it's, it's therapeutic to say, Father, this is what I'm going through. And thank you so much that I am forgiven, that you love me, that you care about me, that you still have a plan and a purpose for my life, and I can walk that out, and that your gifts and callings are without repentance. They're never taken back. They're under full warranty, even on my worst day. See, this is the relationship we should have with our father. But see, it comes back to, are we secure in the father's love? Now, John uses the word world here six times in just three verses. Now think about this. Six times in three verses. So I think it's important to define the world here. The word world in the original, in the Greek, means worldly affairs, the aggregate of things earthly. It's an attitude or an outlook. So we could sum it up like this. Here's the world. An attitude or outlook devoid of God. And really, we could add to that, devoid of God's love. And he's saying, don't give into that attitude. Furthermore, do not associate things to this attitude. John says this, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, if you embrace an attitude or outlook that's devoid of God, the love of the Father is not there. Now, I love words. I love to study things out. And, and one thing I love about this portion of Scripture is that notice that it doesn't say for. It doesn't say your love for God. It says your love, the love of God. Now, there's a big difference here. Now, people could say, well, yeah, I mean, it still could mean the same thing. But think about this. In 1 John 4.19, the Apostle John tells us this, that we love because he first loved us. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to truly love somebody unless we allow God to love us first. I say it all the time, like, will you just take some time and let God love you? Will you take some time in your relationship with God and just, if you have to, a hundred times a day say, God, you love me. See, we're, we're so quick and it's so easy to say, God, I love you, God, I love you. And I get that. And, and I say it often, but see, I've, I've noticed that I say it more often with with truth and with heart behind it because I realize his love for me. See, he loves me so much unconditionally. Even on my worst day that it's like, God, this is so amazing to me that you you don't turn your back on me when I have a bad day. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. This is beautiful, folks. This is the gospel. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Even on your worst day, if you're in the ditch, when you roll over, he's in the ditch with you saying, are you ready to get out of the ditch now? Because I'm here. I'm your strength. I'm your ability. You've been trying to do it on your own. Every time I end up in the ditch, it's because I've tried to do life on my own. Every time. So what is the Apostle John saying here? 
He's saying the love of God isn't in you. If you're finding contentment in the world and the world systems, it doesn't mean that the world's evil, right? We already saw that it's a world system. It's not people. Uh, we, don't, we don't shun people and, and lock ourselves away from people. We need to be there to share light and love with people. What it really means is this. It's the reality and understanding of God's love for you. And if that's not present, you know what the result is? We fall in love with thoughts, ideas, with concepts that are completely absent of his involvement. I've done this in my own life, even as a Christian, even as a believer. I think that thing's going to fulfill me somehow, but it never does. But I'll tell you what, there is nothing, there is nothing like recognizing and understanding God's love towards you. Sometimes I get emotional with this stuff, but I'm telling you what, if you could just grab onto this and just sometimes lay down the works and the things you're doing to stop and let God love you, it will change everything. And all of a sudden, you'll see yourself doing those things. See, he's already put works inside you. He's prepared them beforehand, the scripture says, so that you'll walk in them. We're supposed to produce the fruit of the spirit, but it's his fruit through us. We can't do it on our own. But see, if you can stop and realize, God, you love me. If I didn't do anything else today or for the rest of my life, you love me. You know what'll happen? You'll start to do things. Because he's already put those good works inside you. And so you'll start to walk it out. And you know what's really cool about it? Is you're not walking it out with like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go do this today. I, I gotta go to church today. I gotta minister to that person. What's that Holy Spirit? Smile at that person. Oh, like you're so saturated in this love that it just pours out of you. And people go, how is this person so loving? There's a little secret. It's called God. It's called your father and he's flowing out of you. It's so beautiful. If you find that life is hard and heavy, and I'm not talking about circumstances coming at you. If you find that this Christian walk is hard and heavy, then somewhere you've dropped the ball. I'm not trying to come against you, but you've dropped the ball of love. So get back to that loving relationship with your father and suddenly you'll find yourself transformed. It's absolutely amazing. You'll find yourself transformed and you'll start loving people and showing grace, whether they deserve it or not. I mean, I was just talking to somebody uh, just, just the other day, and they said this. They said, you know what? I've been praying every day, because they got this realization of the heart of Jesus. And they said, I've been praying every day that, that I would love humanity like Jesus loves humanity. I was like, Whew, this dude's getting it. Because when we start praying prayers like that, look out, because you're going to have change transpire in your life. Yeah. And here's something good to add to that prayer. You say, God, help me to love humanity like you do. And then you say this, and help me to always continually see your love towards me. Because when you see that, that's what stirs you up into loving humanity. Am I making sense this morning? Are you all here this morning? I just want us to get this and and see the difference, you know, because if not, then what we do is we trade in relationship with God and we buy into what is fake and hollow. And let's be honest, it will never deliver. It will never satisfy. I've been there. The game systems, the movies, the sex, whatever it is that you think is going to fulfill you in your life, it never fulfills. At the end, you're like, okay, I want some more. 
it's just crazy. Like you want more. You'll never find contentment. The very idea of being content, loving the world, you know, content with the world is a lie because you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be content. It might be pleasurable for a season, but at the end you're like, okay, I need something more. But let me say it again. When you, when you tap in to the love of God, your relationship with your heavenly father, man, everything changes. There's nothing more satisfying. I'm telling you. I love what Eugene Peterson says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. He says it like this in the Message Bible. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, it's called the pride of life. Think about this. We even do this in church. This is crazy to me because this one can be so deceptive you don't see it. We go, oh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, we get that. But the pride of life, he says, wanting to appear important, and we do things like, oh, what's your church do? Oh, well, you should, here's what our church did. We fed the poor. We, we clothed the, the naked. And there's naked people running around. We clothed the naked. Uh, we, we have the homeless. And, we t- and those are all great things. But we start to go, look what we've done, man. Oh, for the Lord. Really? Do you know, this blows my mind, right? We can do Christian-type things, but it'd be dead works. It'd be flesh. It be flesh. It be. It be being flesh. But he goes on to say that all these things, it has nothing to do with the Father. What does it do? This is, this is big. It just isolates you from him. It's not him leaving you. It's not him saying, I've had enough of you. No, no. He'll never do that. He promised. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny or disown himself. You need to look at these scriptures every day if you have to and know that you're secure and you're good. But here's the thing. We can still operate according to a world mindset without God's love, devoid of God's love. And here's what happens. It isolates us from him. We move away from him and say, I'm taking my ball and going home. Look what I'm doing for the Lord. And he's like, can I be part of this process? Like, I'm right here. Let me be part of this process. It changes the whole dynamic. I think John does something really interesting here. He transitions from God or Jesus to God as the Father. Now, why is that important? I mean, he could have said the love of God isn't in you, but he says the love of the Father isn't in you. I started thinking about this, you know. Think about the role of a dad in someone's life. Now, some of you here, you might say, I didn't have a dad in my life. I didn't have a father figure. Others would say, well, I had a dad. He was in the house, but <laughs> uh, he was either absent here, <laughs> never home. Uh, maybe he, he beat you. He abused you. I don't know what you've gone through, but I, w- I want us to see something here today because when I say the Father, the Heavenly Father, if you've had a bad uh, role model in that, then, then you can cringe and go, God's a Father. And then we suddenly come up with ideas that, that God is trying to beat us or teach us lessons, and that's not God. His discipline is always training us for our future. It's always through love. It's always showing us, look, here's the better way. I'm doing this because I see you here and you can't see it yet. It's not punishment for your past. You follow me? It's training for your future. But I want you to know this, that God is a good, good father. He's got to be. We sing a song about it. But, but truth, truth, I love that song too. Like every time I get tears, I'm like, you're so good. It's like, what's wrong with Pastor Andy? I don't know. He's having another episode. We don't know. 
But it's the love of God. It, it will transform. I was a pretty hard, angry person for a long time. And I still got some issues. Just ask my wife. But I'm telling you what, it has softened my heart so much to know God's love toward me. To know that he's a father that will never leave me. And I had a great dad. My dad did his best. I always knew he loved me. Even when I was in trouble, I knew he loved me. But see, we've, we've got to see this idea this, this, that he's a good, good father. He's a giver of good gifts, the Bible says. But see, a dad's role brings identity and security. Did you catch that? It brings identity. It brings security. God wants to father you. He wants to be our dad. We, we sang that today. That was so cool. We were, okay, I'm going to tell him myself. I'm uh, like part of the praise and worship band. I don't know if you've noticed that. And I probably should know what songs we're going to do. But like this morning, I'm in rehearsal. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're doing this song? I shouldn't have said that out loud. They're like, yeah, Pastor Andy, don't you know what's going on? But we're singing this song at the end about he loves me. He loves me. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about today. That's so cool how it works out. It, it, was, it was the Holy Spirit. He wanted to shield me from that. So then it was a surprise when I got here. But we sing something. We say, Abba, Father. That word Abba in the original, you can translate that to, it's like the term daddy. You know, when my kids do it all the time, and, and usually several times, because I don't hear them the first, second, tenth time, and finally it's a daddy, right? But they're like, daddy, daddy. When I would come home from work, daddy, daddy, like they're all excited. Can you think about that? You're like, that's really weird. You're talking about God, and you want him to be daddy, like daddy, daddy. Sometimes you need to go, dad, I need help. It's okay to say that. But that's the relationship that we should have because a dad role is important. It brings identity and security. See, if you don't experience that, that fatherly securing, that confident love from God that gives you confidence and security and identity, then you'll spend your whole life wanting. I'm not trying to manipulate you today. I'm not trying to plan your emotions to get you, okay, I guess I'll... I'll come to church more. I'm not asking you to come to church more. Come to church. It'll, it'll help you refocus on your father. But I'm saying focus on your heavenly father. This is so important. And we end up wanting our own way. Everything becomes about us. It's completely devoid of the father. Eugene Peterson goes on to say in verse 17, the world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. What does God want? Well, first of all, God said that he's not willing that any should perish. Jesus died so that the whole world could be saved by him. So where it starts is recognizing that you're a child of God. You've been put back into favor. You've been reconciled to God and saying, yes, I believe it. And then actually walking out your sonship or your daughtership. See, that's what it's about. But in the context of this, what does God want? He wants you to live a life that is full of his love. He wants you to live a life where you're so saturated in that love relationship with him that all of a sudden what you do, now instead of being worldly, no more lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, doing things for pride and arrogance, it's like, God, what else could I do? See, I say this to people all the time, but, but we do things... For God, right? But we should do them from God. What I'm saying is we're not working for him like he hired a bunch of minions or slaves who aren't hired to do stuff, do his bidding. He brought us in the relationship. He loves us. And then even like my own children, sometimes I have them take out the garbage. 
They don't always do that. Sometimes I have them put the dishes away. Sometimes I have them fold clothes. Sometimes I end up finishing those clothes. You know, we're working together, right? Just like with God. But because of my love relationship with them, I notice something. The more that they experience my love and the more that I spend time in relationship with them, and this is just like an earthly father, the more they're apt to say, okay, dad, I can do that. When I've been maybe absentee, I've been busy, I've been thinking of things, you know. One thing pastors got to try not to do is let ministry get in the way of family time. It's a big deal, and it's hard to do sometimes. And my wife will remind me if I do, so thank you, honey. But it's never in a bad way. It's like family is first. But I've noticed if I'm kind of absent, not on purpose, then their responses change. So when I'm loving them and I'm engaging with them and I'm having relationship with them, see, if my relationship is just go do this, go do that, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, that's not real relationship. Real relationship is me sitting down and I'm talking to myself and saying, how was your day? And not settle with good. No, how was your day? What did you do? Get into their life, invest in their lives. You know what, it's so much easier and say, hey, would you come out and help me mow the lawn? Yeah, dad, no problem. It makes such a difference. And we're all working through this. But think about God. He's the perfect father. He never has a day where he's too busy. He never has a day that he's not engaging you. Sometimes we just don't turn to say, oh, you're engaging me. See the difference? And so this is really our fuel for life. So what we do is we love culture and and sports. And we even got to love the lions. That stinks. And, And music. And hobbies, this message is for Jeremiah. Uh, And people, right? We do that, but we don't love with an attitude that's absent from God because it will leave us empty and wanting. I want to look at a final scripture today in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. You guys receiving anything from this this morning? Say, God loves me. Say it again. With meaning. I'm telling you, God loves you so much. Let's look a little bit here at this transition that John makes from God to Father. In Matthew chapter 17, this will be our last scripture, in verse 5. I want us to see something here. This is huge. What happens here, a little background, this is the Mount of Transfiguration, and there's a lot of different people. It just says a high mountain in the Bible, and scholars believe it's like four different mountains. They're not even sure. The mountain doesn't matter. What happens on the mountain really matters. So, So imagine this. Here's Peter, James, and John. These were some of the closest disciples to Jesus. And he says, hey, guys, let's, let's go up this high mountain. They're like, okay, Jesus, cool, man, let's, let's go. So they're going up the mountain. And, and, and this included the Apostle John, who we just read First John from. So they come up this mountain. And, and as they're, they're spending some time with Jesus, it said, suddenly, say suddenly, suddenly Jesus began to like, like glow, like radiate, transfiguration. Now imagine this. <laughs> You're sitting there. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to glow. It says his clothes were like, like white, like, like more, more ble- better than any bleach job we could do, right? Just glowing. His face is glowing. Now, if that's not enough to freak you out as they watch this, Elijah and Moses appear with Jesus. Now, imagine, because sometimes we're just like, and this happened and that. You're like, that was a good story. No, imagine this. Put yourself in their position. They're on the mountain. Jesus is glowing. Elijah shows up. Moses shows up. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses was the giver of the law. And here's Jesus. And it's funny because Peter, Peter never had an issue saying something. I think he just was nervous if he wasn't talking. So like this is happening. He's like, uh, uh, Jesus, Jesus. Okay. Hey, hey, let me, let's make tabernacles. Let's make places of worship for all of you. Let's worship the law. 
Moses. Let's worship the prophets, Elijah, and let's worship Jesus, the Messiah. So, so that's all he could get out. And we pick up right here in verse 5 of Matthew 17. While he was still speaking, this is Peter, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now stop for just a second. These guys are already seeing people appearing, great glowing, and now a bright cloud overshadows them. Now to us, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that'd be kind of cool. Because you know, we have CGI and movies and stuff. Guys, this was like 30 AD. Like, like sandals and robes, you know? Don't you wish we could still wear robes? No, maybe not. But sandals and robes and dirt, and they're there, and everything's glowing. It's like, what is going on? And so as this happens, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this was God, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then he says this, listen to him. Now, there's a whole message in this that I'll probably get into another time. Listen to him. They were fearful and trembling, and when they looked up, the only one standing there was Jesus. There was a major point being made. But I want us to see something. John spent over three years with Jesus. He was one of the disciples who who saw this transformation, this transfiguration on the mountain. He He heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Think about this. He had a front row seat to what can happen when a son and a father have perfect relationship. John saw this with his own eyes. I mean, he would see Jesus every day. He would walk with him. He would talk with him. He saw the miracles, the signs, the wonders. He went from city to city. He saw Jesus when he was tired. He saw Jesus when he was awake. He saw Jesus when he was sleeping on a boat and said, would you get up, please, because we're going to die. Like he's been through all this experience with Jesus. But then he thinks, wow, Jesus never had a day of insecurity. Jesus wasn't insecure. Jesus never had an identity crisis. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? No, never. That's not Jesus. You know what else? Jesus never talked over someone else to make himself look more important. Like the perfect example. But here he was, front row seat. He must have been mesmerized by Jesus. I mean, nothing rocks this guy's security. Why? He saw a perfect loving relationship between a father and a son. That's why I believe that he went on in his writings. Do you know, in his gospel, he wrote five times that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was the only disciple who died of natural causes. They tried to kill him several times. They finally had to put him on an island and say, dude, just take him to the island. I don't know how to kill this guy. I'm telling you, I really believe the factor was love. He really knew that God loved him, that God was his father, and he loved him. He had that love shed abroad in his heart, and he understood it. It's absolutely awesome, isn't it? Matthew chapter 3 talks about uh, the baptism of Jesus. Jesus went down to the River Jordan, and um, John the Baptist was there, and he, you know they went through this whole thing, will you baptize me? No, I can't. Yes, you must. So he, John finally baptizes him, but when he comes up out of the water, and think about this for a minute. Just close your eyes and picture this. Here he is. He's coming up out of baptism. And it says, immediately when he came up from the water, the heavens were opened. Think about this. The heavens opened up. He saw the Spirit of God descending in the form of a dove. 
And then there was a voice from heaven. It said the same words as the Mount of Transfiguration. It said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And with your eyes closed, I want you to picture something here. God calls you his son and calls you his daughter. Now imagine this. If you knew that the heavens were open to you, if you knew that his spirit rests on you, better yet, lives on the inside of you, if you knew that you were dearly loved by your heavenly father and that he was pleased with you, do you think you'd live the rest of your days trying to get stuff? I dare say no. Would you try to be perceived as successful and be arrogant about what you achieved? Of course not. Now, this isn't a hard thing. I I believe being successful is okay. Just don't be arrogant about it. I believe having stuff is okay. Just don't let stuff have you. So this isn't a a preaching a poor gospel. You can't have anything because that makes you humble and holy. But just don't let stuff have you. See, I want us to get this today. If we could really allow God to love us first, then we would in turn love him and love others. And then what John said in 1 John here in verse 17, he says you would do what God wants. See, it's our Father's love that motivates us to do what he wants. There shouldn't be anything else that motivates us but his love. And I believe that the Apostle John really lived this life in this fashion, and he really wanted us to live the same way. Wouldn't you agree? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we can trust in you. We trust in in your love toward us. That there's never a day that goes by that your love wavers. Completely unconditional, completely undiluted. I pray today that we would see this and we would realize something that if we would just allow you to love us, spend time with you, meditate on you, focus on you, then we would not only get to a place where we would fall in love with you, but we would actually start to do things. If there's anyone here today who would say, I've never made the decision to follow Jesus. But I hear you today. I mean, you're saying I'm already brought into favor with God. It's just simply believing that, that Jesus came, that the cross meant something, that the resurrection means something. See, what it means is the Bible says we're crucified with Christ when we say yes. So it's a spiritual thing. But then we're raised again to newness of life. That's what the resurrection represents. If you're here today and you say, you know, I've never believed that, but I believe that today, just raise your hand and say, yeah, I believe that, Pastor. I thank you for every person here, Heavenly Father, that believes them, that we're your children, that the Holy Spirit now indwells us, that you now are the source of our life, the source of our strength. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I want you to remember something before Gary closes here, is that John woke up every day following Jesus. I'm not talking about just physically, but he woke up every day after Jesus ascended and lived his life till he died of natural causes following Jesus. Why? Because the relationship that he had with Jesus and the relationship that he had with the heavenly father and the father's love.
Amen. Did you guys get blessed today? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.